If you'll open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, Brother John read verses 12, 13, and 14. I'd like to, I, I, I sense the need to make sure to set the context so that we'll have an idea of what it is that we're looking what we're looking at and why we're looking at this. There's a great deal, there's a great deal that goes into coming to this spot, obviously. This is Hebrews chapter 12, and we don't have time, obviously. It's taken us probably three years to get to Hebrews chapter 12 from Hebrews chapter 1, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, ironically. Um, But we need to take all of those things with us when we come to chapter 12. And most significantly, we need to remember that Hebrews chapter 12 is an extension of Hebrews chapter 10. And Hebrews chapter 11 proves this truth historically right in the middle of talking about what God wants us to see. It's really important that we understand if you, if you begin to, as you begin to enter into the book of Hebrews, you begin to recognize a couple of things that God wants us to understand clearly. One, the Lord Jesus Christ is better. And then you, you might ask, better than what? And the answer is, no, he's better. It, he's just better. He's better than everyone. He's better than everything. But he's just better. And it's not like good, better, best. He is superior is the idea. The word that's used over and over again is that he's better. But it isn't as in he is better and then that's something better than he is that makes it best. He is best. He is always perfect. Always perfect. The other thing that you need to remember as you're studying the book of Hebrews, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 1, just go back to Hebrews chapter 1 for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, speaking of our Lord Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better. And it's going to continue from there. Being made so much better. And then one thing after another, God is not going to, by the way, God is not going to compare our Lord Jesus by pointing out each thing that Christ is superior to by their flaws. In other words, the book of Hebrews is not a book that expresses the shortcomings or flaws of others. It points out how great they actually were, and then it states, and he is better than that. Now, we would recognize, each one of us here, everybody sitting here would recognize in your own life that Christ is better than you are, But the easiest way for us to recognize that Christ is better than we are is because we know ourselves. Because you know your own shortcomings, it's easier, it's easy to recognize, well, he does not have my shortcomings. And have those shortcomings, he would still be better than you are. You did not create all things. 
All things don't consist because you keep them together. You are not the Lord of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are not, but He is. I cannot express to you. I mean, last week we listened to the testimony of a of a young man who grew up not knowing the Word of God at all. He grew up knowing a very uh, dark and angry and false religion. He testified as we as we as we watched the testimony. He testified of this reality in his life, and then he said when he was very first exposed to the Word of God, and he saw in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, love your enemies, he said this, what kind of God says love your enemies? And see, then he met Jesus, and Jesus changed everything. And this Arab man who had grown up Islamic, hating America, hating Christianity, hating Israel, hating everything, quite honestly. He was very clear about that. Learn to love. And then God purposed to introduce him to Hebrews, who also had been born again, who had also put away their hatred, their warfare, their fighting, because they too had met the king of peace, and they had been changed. And so God brought these two groups of people, and I'll be honest with you, if they're in the age in which we live, if there are any two groups of people that it would be more difficult to bring together than, than Islam and, and Hebrews, I don't know who they would be. And yet, not only did God bring them together, He brought them together to literally apologize to each other on behalf of their own people groups, to, to apologize to each other and to love one another and to wash one another's feet. That's tremendous. That's the Lord Jesus. Again, I need you to understand, it's important that you recognize that this has nothing to do with religion. This has to do with the fact that you are a man or woman sitting here today. I am a man standing here today. All of us recognize not just some um, necessity to go to church, but some necessity to connect with the God that created us while recognizing that we have clearly and obviously ruined that opportunity. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That each and every one of us, that whosoever, that every single person on the planet, Kenny talked about the seven billion-ish planet on the people on the planet right now, because God so loves, and I mean every single one of them. You say, well, I know some people that are hard to love. They are hard for us to love. Almost anybody's hard for us to love. But not so for our God. God, listen, God is holy. God is righteous. But God is also not loving. God is love. And it is, it is God's great desire to rescue man from himself. And I thank God for it. That's what you need to understand. Now, now, the book of Hebrews makes it clear that we have such a high priest. We have someone who is able to stand before God on our behalf and to come to us from God on his behalf. Our Lord Jesus is able to touch our dirty feet and the throne of God at the same time. Nobody else can do this. Jesus, and by the way, and God the Father wants this to be the case. He wants us to be able to be touched by God while God is touching God. He wants this to be the case. That's why Christ has come. And the book of Hebrews says, you don't have to live the way you used to live anymore. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is our personal great high priest who has come to pour out literally a whole new quality 
of life into your life. And by the way, if you don't have that, then at best, at best, you're being cheated out of your birthright. At worst, you're not a new creature and you need to be born again. But listen, please, oh, if I could only tell you how many times I have come to realize that people come to church and put on a mask, they pretend, they try to express something that's not true in their lives just so they can get along with the people around them. Don't do this. God has no interest in you wearing a mask. God has no interest in pretext. He wants you to truly have peace. He wants you to have a peace that passes all understanding. Such a peace that when you try to explain it to people, you can't. All you can say is, it's just true. It's just true. But a peace that they cannot see is not a peace that's real. Amen? This is the thing. When you start to realize, well, I, 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 I agree with this idea of peace. And then I say to you or to your extended family more significantly, those around you, does this person have that peace? And the answer is, well, he or she would really like to have that peace. And that's the problem. That's what, that's where we fall short. Where we fall short is by not believing what God wants to accomplish in our lives. And this morning, just for a couple of moments in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to realize how God wants us to trust Him and how He wants to bring about this peace. Now, in, in, in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, as we look into your word, would you bless our time together this morning? Lord, we have already seen that we have nothing if we don't have Jesus. Now, Lord, help us to understand what we do have as we have our Lord Jesus Christ changing us from the inside out. We thank you. We praise you. We give you all the honor and glory before we even start, because thou alone art worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There are, uh, there are two things that are um, set in verses 1, 2, and 3, and 4. Two things. We've talked about it a long time. I don't have time to go into it. A lot, but there are two things that God wants us to understand as we are realizing that we are now living patiently by faith. Look at me. Look, God says living on this earth in this wickedness is hard. It, it is. God knows it is. He says it is. He doesn't want you to believe, you know, when, do you remember when your sins were forgiven? I remember when my sins were forgiven and everything was shiny and new and wonderful and it was precious. It was truly, truly, I thought, wow, my life will be great from now on. Well, there were two things wrong with that thought. One, I, I, while I was a new creature, my selfishness was not completely gone. And that was a problem. Not only that day, but every day since then. Two, God did not remove me from this present evil world when he saved me. So you guys are hard to get along with too. Amen? <laughs> now I say this to many people. 
The people around you are not nearly as big a problem as you are. Amen. My greatest problem isn't you. My greatest problem is me. Amen. And the reason that's true is just because I'm around me all the time. Because I can go out and stand in that field out there and I still will have a problem because I'll still be there. Amen. But God is changing us. And if you're not being changed, please talk to God about this. If you're not being changed, don't play church. God does not want you to pretend. If you're not being changed, say, God, change me. You must change me. I need you to make the things that you say you want to do real in my life. So the one thing that God says in verses 1 and 2 is there's sin, sin, sin in your life, and it's going to be a problem. And then in verses 3 and 4, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted blood striving against sin. So not only is the sin in your life a problem, the sin in the world is a problem. And these things cause us to go through difficulty day after day after day after day. Our Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus is called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, though he had no sin of his own. His anguish his disappointment, if you will, the grief that he has is not for himself, it's for those around him. He, he cared, and this is so important. Go to Romans chapter nine. Go to the end of Romans chapter eight. Don't do it now. Romans chapter eight. Look at the end. Read the last 12 verses of Romans chapter eight until you're so high with the enjoyment, so, so elevated with excitement. Nothing can separate from the love of God in Christ. And then go into chapter nine. I have continual heaviness and great sorrow. How is that possible? Because the people around me don't have this. Paul was so full of joy for what God had done in his life, but he was so burdened for those that he loved who did not have this. And that's true in our lives. So these two things are constantly there. But beginning in verse 5 and going all the way through, including right up to where John began reading in verse 12, going all the way through verse 11 clearly, and then verse 12 begins, wherefore, uh, explains this. It says, Verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So not, listen, this is so, please look up here. This is so important. Not only is your sin a problem, and not only is the sin of the world a problem, listen to me, if you do not understand it, the discipline of God in our lives, the chastening of God in our lives becomes a problem. Because when God deals with us in love and says, oh, my child, this is not what I have for you. Let me set you free from that. Let me not let you live like that anymore. Let me insist that you not treat your brothers and sisters like that. Let me change you. When God is doing that, the chastening that that comes in our lives while God is doing that, if you don't understand it, you will begin to believe that God himself is against you. But he's not against you. Now, let me explain why we think this is true. He explains it. If you go to verse 9, it says, For furthermore, We have had our fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, our fathers, our human fathers, or mothers, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, listen, 
for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So what is this saying? Here's the problem. Listen, and I'm about to, I'm about to speak about all of our parents, but don't worry, children, because then I'm about to speak about all of us as parents. Your parents weren't perfect. And every child in here said, about time somebody said that. <laughs> your parents weren't perfect. According to verses 9 and 10, they disciplined us or chastened us or dealt with us in our lives according to their own pleasure. In other words, and by the way, often just because it's how they wanted it to be. Yes? How many of you remember hearing this? Because I said so. Anybody remember that? That's all my father. That was, that was the only rule in the house. Because I said, whatever it was. Why? Because I said so. I remember my dad at one point saying this. When you pay the mortgage, you can make the rules. Well, guess what? I, I pay the mortgage now. Amen? So I said to my sons, when you pay the mortgage, <laughs> you can make the rules. Amen? Do you see how it goes from one generation to the next? And listen, listen to me, listen to me. What's really fascinating about this is we take the word chastisement and we use the word chastisement as if, as if it meant spanking. But that's not in the word at all. It literally means, listen, it means to train, to teach. It, now listen, do we believe that God is willing to chastise us with discipline if it's needed in our lives? And the answer is yes, we do. We know that God will insist that we do the right thing. But let me ask you this. When was the last time God struck you? And the answer is he's never struck me. Has he ever? Never, never. He never has. But he sure has, he sure has made me know that he was disappointed with what I was doing. Do you understand this? Listen, the reason that I say this is when we think discipline, we think make children behave. That's not what God is after. God says this is what discipline is. Love your children. Listen to me. This is hard, parents. This is really hard. Care enough about your children to put their lives before your lives. So be consistent in your discipline. Whatever the rules are, those are the rules. And it doesn't matter whether you're tired. It doesn't matter whether you just said this five times ago. It doesn't matter what it is. We have to be consistent and say, children, listen, the reason that we do this in our household, the reason that we don't stick the fork in the socket, I always use this because nobody's ever come up to me afterwards and said, you know, I think it's a silly rule. I think you should allow your children to stick a fork in the socket. So I use this because everybody understands that this is something that's important. The reason we don't stick forks in sockets is because it's bad for the fork. No. <laughs> that's not why we don't. If you're worried about the cutlery in your house, then you've got a problem. But you're worried about what? The well-being and the safety of your children. You want them to grow up and be the young men and women that God want them to be, not so they don't embarrass you, but so that they can have the love of God in their lives. And so you, we have to care. This passage makes it clear. Whether you're a good parent or whether your parents were good parents, God is a good parent. That's the real point is I don't have to talk to you about your shortcomings as a parent and I don't need to talk to you about your parents' shortcomings as a parent. The point is God recognizes we are not perfect parents, but God is a perfect parent. And he for our own good. 
Everything God, all of the discipline that God brings into our lives, all of the chastisement that God brings into our life, every single bit of it is not against us. God is never against his children. Never, never, never. And here's the good news. God is never embarrassed by us. And we are embarrassing. We are embarrassing. I'll be honest with you. If God were like me, he would quit. He would simply say, I've had enough of you behaving like that, and I'm just not going to be around you anymore. But he says to Israel, Israel, because I am not like you, you have not perished. Because I am not like you, I have not destroyed you. Praise God for that. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The discipline in our life, the discipline in our life, that and all of it, child of God, all of it, Let's just take your ribbon, put it right here, turn back a couple of books to Romans. I got to talk about the end of Romans chapter 8. Let's go to the middle of Romans chapter 8. Oh boy, there's so much here. I'm going to take a moment. Verse 26. Let's go to verse 25. We're talking about patience in, in, in Hebrews right now, talking about living a life of patience and living a life of faith. So verse 25 of Hebrews of, of Romans chapter 8 says, But if we hope for what we see not, we expect that something is going to come which hasn't happened yet, then do we with patience wait for it. We are waiting for what's going to come. And by the way, what God is talking about is this. All Christians understand this can't be the end. Right? God saved me from my sin. I have peace with God, but I am not looking forward. Listen, I am not looking forward to an eternity on this planet. Amen? Amen? I am not. I am not. If, if this, if eternity were going to be like it is right now forever, that would not be, that would not be wonderful. There will be, praise God, no sin in heaven. None. None. There will be no sin. And praise God, the most important thing about that in my life is none of my sin will be in heaven. And I think we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And this corruptible or this corruption shall put on incorruption. And there shall be nothing in heaven that defiles at all. And praise God for that. So this passage is saying, we know it's not going to be like this. We are glad to be saved, but we groan waiting for everything to be changed. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Here's a wonderful thing. Have you ever prayed and not known how to pray? Anybody ever pray and not know how to pray? Go ahead and raise your hand high if that's true for you. Have you ever prayed and not know what to say? Now let me tell you this. Praise God the Holy Ghost knows what to say. Let's look at this for a second. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, here's the thing. Everybody recognizes what a groan is, right? Everybody understands what a groan is. A groan is when you cannot communicate. It's when it's so deep in you that you can't even get words to get it out. You just feel it deeply in your heart and you groan. The Holy Ghost understands this and it says with groanings that you can't even utter. In other words, not even an audible groan. 
the Holy Ghost is speaking to, uh, to God on your behalf. I, I, I have to be honest with you. I believe that some of my best times of prayer came when I finally gave up talking when I was praying to God and just sat there and wept. I just sat there and wept, but I did not give up on praying while I sat there and wept. I just let the Holy Spirit, and I'm not talking about some strange gibberish nonsense. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost really working in my heart, causing me to understand, it's okay, Chuck. I know what you're going through, and I am communicating what's going on in your heart right now. And what a wonderful thing it is to know that in this time where we live in this world as it is right now, as we are right now, when we cannot pray as we ought, God says, it's okay, I've got it, I've got it. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, honestly, is there there ever a time that you need God more deeply than when you can't even talk about it? Never mind talk to one another about it. You can't even talk to God about it anymore. And God says, it's okay, I got it. I got it. Stay here. Stay with me. Stay with me. I got it. And he, verse 27, and he searches the heart, and he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he make his intercessions for the saint according to the will of God. And we know, now listen, this is important. This is it's very important to understand this in its context, where this comes in your Bible. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Now here's the wonderful thing. So if this is true, if Romans, if Romans 8.28 is true in the context and when it is given, then we know that God is talking about the times in your life when it is so difficult you can't even groan out loud. And he says, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. I'm doing that. I'm behind that time in your life. And this would be your question. Why, God, would you be behind that? I'm asking you to deliver me from that time in my life. What do you mean you're behind that time in my life? And this is what he's saying. I'm teaching you through this. I'm teaching you through this. I want you to, I want to just give you just one such occurrence, just one such occasion. It's a man named Lazarus, and he has a couple of sisters, and you might know them. Their names are Martha and Mary. And Lazarus is sick. And Martha and Mary say this. They send word to Jesus. They say, he whom thou lovest. They have no doubt that Jesus loves Lazarus. He whom thou lovest is sick. He's sick. Now, this is what they believe. This is what they believe. And they believe it with all their heart. When we tell Jesus, he will come. When he comes, he will heal Lazarus, and he will be well. Amen? They have no doubt about it. None. In fact, when he comes later, they're going to say, if you had come, our brother would not have died. In other words, you didn't come. And because you didn't come, our brother died. Now, let me ask you this. You suppose there might be some groaning that they don't understand going on when Lazarus is dead? And Jesus didn't come. Anybody want to imagine that they might be? Anybody want to imagine that they might be sitting there, looking down at the dirt by their feet, having no idea why did Jesus come? Why did he let Lazarus die? Why are we going through this? I don't understand this. This is the most difficult thing I've ever gone through. And Jesus could have stopped it easily. Yes. And the answer is yes. He could have. Yes. He could have. Yes, he could have. You don't have to go through what you're going through right now. You don't have to have the instruction and the teaching that comes with it. But God chooses that you have it. And you say, but I don't understand. And neither did they. And neither did they. And then Jesus came. And here's the thing. I, 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 um, I say this because what's going to happen is when Jesus comes and they say, if you'd come, our, our brother uh, would not die. 
he's going to say, well, you know what? Let's get him up. And one, of the, and one of the women is going to say this, Lord, don't roll the stone away now. Don't roll the stone away now. Listen, why? Because it's too late. At this point, what? He stinks. Now, let me be honest with you. A funeral is a tough thing. Yes? But can you imagine three days after we bury the, our loved one, that we go back there, we dig up the six-foot grave, we open up the, uh, um, the casket, and the person has begun to decompose in the casket. Now, we all love the open casket when we say goodbye to our loved ones here. And that's because they've been embalmed. There's been enough things done that, that, that they look very normal, right? But let's go dig them up later when they don't look normal anymore. Nobody wants to go through that. Lord, it was bad enough that he died. It's bad enough that we've gone through what we've gone through. But at this point, he stinks. And, here's, and, I, and I make reference to all that because this is what I believe God wants each one of you to learn today. Understand that the chastising that I'm doing in your life is to prove to you that I can raise the stinking dead. Long after Lazarus, listen to me, long after Lazarus began to rot, Jesus resurrected him. That's amazing to me. Long after it was not only, he was not only dead, he was rotting dead. Jesus said, Lazarus, Come forth. And he did. I know you've heard this before, but I like to repeat this. I just think it's such a tremendous truth. And the reason he said Lazarus come forth instead of just come forth is because if he said come forth, they would have all come forth. Amen? And I'll tell you, there's coming a resurrection when Jesus will say, come forth, and everybody will come forth. Amen? That's the power of God. So he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. And then he said, by the way, go ahead and take those grave clothes off him. He don't need those anymore. Amen? That's God, listen to me, that's God working in your life. That's Romans 8.28, when groaning is past. When you have groaned and groaned and groaned and do not understand what is going on. God said, I don't understand why you don't trust me. He said, God, this is a terrible thing that I'm going through. And God said, it isn't a terrible thing or I wouldn't let you go through it. I know what you're going through. And you misunderstand this as if I don't love you. And I promise you, Satan is willing to whisper in your ear, just like he whispered in Eve's ear, God doesn't love you. He doesn't want you to have good things. He's taking these things away from you. Nonsense. Nonsense. God, listen, God loves each and every one of you in a way that I can't even begin to express. Even, even if you're here today and you're lost, even if you have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, it does not change God's love for you because he so loved the world that he gave. God demonstrated his love or commended or proved his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Sinners. You, if you die rejecting Christ, if you will not receive Christ and you die that way, then you will have to face the judgment of God. It's not, his, it's not his will for you. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. It is not God's desire that anybody dies that way, but some people still die that way. But God did not ever stop loving you and was willing to rescue you with your last breath. That's the power of God. That's the chastising power of God. Child of God, the chastisement of God is not a bad thing. And it's not something to be afraid of. And it's not something to try to escape. And it's not something to run from. That's what God wants to do. 
So these three things we see in this passage, these three things, our sinful selves cause us problem, the sinful world around us causes a problem, and if you misunderstand it, the chastisement of God will be the biggest problem in your life, but God said, don't let that be a problem. Don't let that be a problem. Now let's look at the very end of that. Verse 11, now, no chastising, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. Anybody ever remember when you were a young person and you were being... Whatever, what's the word? Grounded, disciplined, whatever the discipline was in your house. Anybody remember it? Was it fun? I remember, uh, I want to say between my sophomore and junior year of high school. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Between my sophomore and junior year of high school. At the beginning, I'm talking like the first day of summer. We stayed out late that night, me and two of my friends. And for some reason, it started, we were throwing eggs at cars under, under an overpass. And it went from that to throwing eggs at people's houses. And I don't know how many houses it was. It was a lot. There were a lot of eggs. My, my, the, one of the friends of mine that was involved, his parents had a, had a uh, um, restaurant. So instead of a dozen eggs, you got those flats of eggs. I just, you know, I mean, each one of us had a flat of eggs. It's just a bad idea to start with, right? <clears throat> anyway, I say this because this is like 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning. And at 2 in the morning, this, this old man was out walking his dog. And he saw us, and he told on us. <laughs> amen. My wife says amen. <clears throat> and, so, and so my dad grounded me for the summer, the whole summer. Now, anybody, if your dad was like, if my dad was like your dad, then you were probably grounded forever more than once in your life, and it lasts like a week. But this lasted the summer. I was grounded for the whole summer. And then one phone call after another, because, you know, you go out the next day and you realize this egg on the house and you find out maybe it was those same three kids that did the other houses. It's Vermont, right? So how many kids can there be? <clears throat> so one phone call after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. Now listen, the reason I bring this up is because my father's chastisement of me had nothing to do, and I'm not being mean about to my father, had nothing to do with my good. It had to do with my father's standing in the community. It had to do with the embarrassment that I had caused my family's name. Right? Let's go back and look at this. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, now this is what happens when God is at work in your life. It yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are what? Trained, exercised thereby. So the purpose, listen to me, listen. The purpose of all chastisement in your life, child of God, is that you would learn how great he is through the whole thing. Amen? Always. Everything. Everything. And listen, listen. What can God use in an adult's life but adult-type things that are difficult? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand? When you were a child, taking away your favorite toy could teach you something. But when you're older, it doesn't even get your attention taking away your favorite toy. So God deals in our lives in much more difficult, deeper things. Yes, finances, loved ones, sickness, things that are far more... In other words, just like Lazarus died and Jesus rose, raised him from the dead, God uses those kind of things in our lives to show us not how mean he is and how powerful he is and how he can control our lives, but how much he loves us. And what he wants us to understand about his greatness in our life. Now, good. Let's read it again. Now, no chastening for the present 
seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now, I want to stop here. How many of you, honestly, and I mean this honestly, how many of you really want to be conformed to the image of Christ? Yeah, I mean, really want to be, all I really want to be is conformed to the image of Christ. Well, then let God do whatever is necessary in your life to conform you. Never doubt his love for you. Never doubt his love for you. Though he slay me, this is the Lord Jesus. This is what the Lord Jesus could say. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me. When he's dying, Father, Father, I wouldn't do this for anybody else, and I wouldn't trust anybody else with this. Into thy hands I commit my spirit, my very being. I don't even understand how God can give God his spirit. I don't understand it. It's far greater than ours, by the way. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. He told his disciples, no man can take my life from me. I'm going to lay it down, and then I'm going to take it back. But when he laid it down, he had to give it to somebody that he trusted to keep it. Again, I don't understand. I really don't understand. These things are far too great for me to really understand. I mean, I understand the verses. I understand the the Greek. I understand what's being said. But I do not understand the depth of what's going on when God the Son gives his spirit to God the Father. But I do know this. He trusted his Father. Pilate says, do you not know what, that's a funny thing. The more I think about this, this interrogation, the more ironic the whole thing is. Do you not know what power I have over you? <laughs> and, you know, and our, our Lord Jesus is so kind because he could have said, you're a joke. That's not what he said. He says, here's Pilate, here's the power that you have. Whatever power my father gives you, that's the power you have. Isn't that wonderful? Listen, I want you to understand, in our government, God forbid that our government should continue down the road that it looks like it's going right now. But if it continues down that road, whatever authority our Father gives them, that's the authority that they have. And you don't have to fight with it. Please don't fight with it. You don't have to be angry about it. You don't have to take up arms against it. God help you. Do not do any of that. Just recognize that you, you, whoever they are, you cannot touch my soul. You cannot touch my, you can touch my body. You can take my quote-unquote physical life from me, but even if you do that, you're just sending me to be with my Father. Amen? And I don't hate you, and I'm not angry with you, and I don't want you to get yours. In fact, my prayer is, God, don't lay this to their charge. Amen? God, help us to be so conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus that that's the way our lives are being lived. That's what God wants to accomplish in our lives. That's what God wants to do in your life and in my life is to change us into that kind of a person. And we're almost done. And ironically, we haven't even really got, and I mean that, we really haven't, we will have to go in in two weeks, we'll look at the rest of this. But I want you to look at verse 12 and 13 again. I know I made reference to this a couple of weeks ago, but I really want you to see see this in this context. After saying all that, wherefore, lift up the hands which which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which be lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Here's what's being said. We all know what it's like to hurt and to hurt terribly. Listen to me. Look, listen. We all know what it's like to hurt terribly. We do. At the age that I am now, you can't reach this age without having gone through some things that make you hurt terribly. We all know how to hurt terribly. We all know how it feels to hurt terribly. Listen, so does everybody sitting around you. We all haven't handled 
what God has done in our lives perfectly. We haven't. I haven't. I'm going to guess you haven't either. Those of you that I met, I can tell you you haven't. (laughs) Because that's true, because that's true, God says, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down. He's not talking about you. He's not saying stand up straight, young man. That's not what he's saying. He's saying look around you. See whose hands are hanging down. See whose knees are weak right now. Help them. Help them. Listen to me. If you don't help them, they are going to lose their joy. They are going to go. It's going to be worse than it is today, tomorrow, probably. If you see it and you don't help, then you don't rescue them from where they are right now. Why? Why? Why would God say this to us? And here's the answer, because while God is the one that's bringing the discipline, the chastisement into our lives, he's also the one that's bringing the love into our lives. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies. Who do you think? Why? Listen, listen, I want want to make it very practical. Again, I'll just use Mitch and uh, Rick. You know, we'll make Mitch the one that's going through the hard time today. (laughs) So Mitch is going through a really difficult time. Listen, listen. And God is the one that's bringing the difficult time into Mitch's life. But God also wants to bring love into Mitch's life. He also wants to bring tender care and help and strength into Mitch's life. And so he says to Rick, Rick, go lift up Mitch's hands. Go help your brother. Why? Because I love your brother. That's why. Because I, listen, listen, because I'm going to give you the privilege of being the vessel that I use right now to help this child that I'm dealing with right now. Amen. There is no greater privilege that you and I can be than to be the vessel unto honor. In a great house, there are many vessels, right? We make this, I talk about this every now and then. This is a vessel unto honor, right? You understand that? There are trash cans in the church also, and I don't drink out of a trash can. But this glass, this, in fact, this very glass, uh, Malcolm brings me this, well, there are many glasses, by the way, and he brings me this glass every week with water in it. And this is a vessel unto honor that has a useful purpose in the church of me getting a drink of water while I'm preaching. Listen, the best, the best that any Christian can be is a vessel unto honor, useful in the hands of God as he loves those around each other. That's the best you can be. The best you can be is God says to you, love them. And you say, well, they're hard to love. You're hard to love. You're hard to love. Love them. Why? Because I love them. And I'm willing to use you to love them. Isn't that wonderful? Honestly. And you shall be witnesses unto, not each other, unto me. We shall testify of the greatness of God. So how can Rich lift up Mitch's hands? Mitch, smarten up. Stop being such a whiny baby. Right? No. No. This is it. Mitch, Mitch, you seem to be going through a difficult time. I love you, brother. I really do. Is there anything that I can do to help? And Mitch begins to share whatever it is that he's going through. And then if Rick is the one that God called to go help Mitch, then I promise you Rick will be able to say, you know what, Mitch, I've been through this. I've been through something like this. And you know what I found out true about our father? This is what I found out was true about our father. And he will give glory to God. And Mitch will see the glory of God, and it will change Mitch's life. Amen? Not, oh, Mitch, Mitch. Let me tell you how I overcame that in my life. I almost stumbled like you did once, Mitch, but I stood up quickly 
And let me explain that, how I, how I recovered. Honestly, there are many church members that are just like that. You can leave now. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Quick, you should go before I punch you. You know what I'm saying? That type of a thing. Amen? Because that might lift up my hands, but in a different way. Amen? God wants us to love one another, not kick each other down. Yes? That's what it says. Now, I'll just read it again. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And notice this. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lamed be turned out of the way. What this is saying is this. Pave the road that you're walking on. Mow the grass that people have to walk through. In other words, don't make Christianity hard for one another. Make it easy for one another. Help one another. Not see what a great Christian I am. See what a great God we serve. Amen? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you're not like us. And because you're not like us, we are not going to have to be left like we are. I thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us so much that he's pouring out a whole new quality of life. And you are the one teaching us, training us, ministering to us in the midst of learning this new life. And we do not have to be ashamed and we do not have to be afraid of difficulty. And we do not have to say, I don't know why I'm going through this. I must be a terrible person. We need to realize I need to stop looking at me. I need to stop looking at my circumstances. And I need to look to my God who loves me. And Lord, that we would look around, around at each other and be able to see the hands that hang down or the knees that are weak and recognize this is true of all of us most of the time and be able to raise each other up and help one another with your power, with your strength, by your might, using your word and your Holy Ghost. Lord, you accomplish these things. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. The first question I want to ask you is this. If you're here with us this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, this one that I've been speaking about, if you do not know this one as your Savior and you're convicted about that, you are, God is dealing with you about that, that's fine. It's good. God wants to deal with all of us about this. If that's true in your life, would you simply acknowledge it by raising your hand and say, Preacher, would you pray for me? That's it. I'm not going to say anything other than that. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to make you um, do something different later. Would you just like to acknowledge, I need you to pray for me, Preacher. I need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Is there anybody here this morning for whom that's true? Just raise your hand. All right, nobody raised their hand, and that's fine. Now, but I'm going to ask you to keep your heads down and your eyes closed for just a second because I don't want anybody to, uh, to see you as, you as you deal with this. How many of you would say, honestly, I have misunderstood the, chase, the, cha- the chastening of my father in my life, and I have tried to get away from it instead of letting God show me what he wants me to see? If that's true for you. Raise your hand where you're sitting right now. I've misunderstood the chastening of God, and I've just tried to get away. Go ahead, raise it up nice and high. All right, thank you. Go ahead and put your hands down. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you would say, I've been selfish in my life, and I haven't even looked around at my brothers and sisters to see whose hands are hanging low, whose knees are weak, and I've just been living for myself? Would you raise your hand if that's true for you this morning? I've just been living for myself, and I haven't been looking and seeing what God wants me to see. Amen. Thank you. Lots of hands. Both In both cases, lots of hands. Everybody can look up here now. I just want to... Now, listen. And again, we, the invitation, the invitation... The opportunity is for you to let God do what he wants to do now, what he wants to do now. God has used his word wonderfully to reveal to us how much he loves us, how much he loves those around us, and how much he wants to use us in his love for those around us, how much he wants to teach us and show us how great he is. 
Now, the, the, the invitation is not to come down here. The invitation is to live our lives the way God would have us to live our lives, to let him change us the way he wants to change us, to let him teach us what he wants us to learn. Amen? That's the invitation. 